five six. Good morning, all. I want to welcome you this morning to the Bible study time here at Rick Bonfin Ministries. It's delightful to be with you and to sit together and open our Bibles and see what comes out. You know, <laughs> one time a set of Methodists that they they were a Bible moth, M-O-T-H, Bible moth. Said every time you open the Bible up, a Methodist flew out of it. That's what the old English used to say about us. We were so conscious of our Bible that that we were just in it all the time. And when you open one up, we'd fly right out. So hopefully that's the way we still are. But I don't know. And I'm coming to you today again, talking with you about the Book of James. We've done a very good and exhaustive study on this work. And we've taken selected verses, looked at them with different teachers and different perspectives on the text. And I think we've done real well to look at it that way. Today, I have the James chapter 5 and verses 1 through 6. Now, I'm going to read that to you, and I'm going to use the Living Bible uh, to read for translation. And just... Just let these words sink in as you hear them read to you. I'm going to speed them up a little bit because I think that's the emphasis that is required of them. So here we go. James 5, 1 through 6. Look here, you rich men. Now is the time to cry and groan with anguished grief because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is even now rotting away, and your fine clothes are becoming mere moth-eaten rags. The value of your gold and silver is dropping fast. Yet it will stand as evidence against you, and eat your flesh like fire. That is what you have stored up for yourselves to receive on that coming day of judgment. For listen, here are the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. Their cries have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That's the end of the reading and the end of the lesson. It's a pretty stern set of words coming from the Living Bible. And what we need to do, I think, is to just kind of unpack it a little bit and think about it a little bit. Because obviously, the writer here is on what we call a rant. I don't know if you ever get on a rant, but sometimes I get on a on a rant about something. <laughs> and I just turn loose and with both barrels of a shotgun and let it go. You know, I'm sick and tired of this car breaking down all the time. Get on a rant. Well, that's definitely what we got in front of us. He wants it perceived that way. He wants it looked at that way. Thought about it that way. The struggle between riches and poverty is an ancient Christian tension and, and struggle. You might remember one time Jesus said, how hard is it for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven? He said, like trying to get a 
camel through the eye of a needle. Which seems to be something that would would suggest that it's impossible to do that. But in early Christianity and even up until today, it is a a tension that exists between these economics and Christianity. I want to look at a few words in the text, just unpack that and then what I'm going to do is I haven't done that, I haven't read it, haven't looked at a few words, then I'm going to gather some thoughts about it that may be helpful. And I want you to think about it too. You have a a little notebook with your Bible study, which is always wonderful to have. You can jot down some things that that are said and some things that you might want to think about a little further or add to or detract from, as you probably will be teaching this material yourself at some point. In uh, James chapter 5, verse 3, there is in there a text about rotting away, talking about wealth is even now rotting away. Our old King James Version used a word called cankered, which is, implies rust, that wealth is is uh, stays here. It's worldly. It's materialistic. So, uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson said and proved it in his life that uh, wealth is of this world. That's all it is. So it's things in this world. But the the word I want to think about is that that word cankered or that word rotting. It, the Greek makes it into venom. It's a venomous thing. Now, you know, if you get bit by a snake or the right kind of spider, you could develop a venomous reaction, which is that the flesh is destroyed by the venom in the poison. So what he's saying is if you are a wealthy person, you have already been bitten. And the venom of it is coursing through you. So you need to be rid of it. And that's a pretty strong, pretty strong thing that he says about wealth. Also in that verse, the word witness is there again. The, the material on the Greek word witness, because wealth can be a, a, can be good and bad. Now, a witness can be good. We, we think of them as good. When we get a, can I get a witness? You know, we think that somebody wants to talk about Jesus is what a witness is. But how you live your life is also a witness. What you have in the way of possessions or let us say dwellings or things of this world. Give off a witness to other people. Maybe it's the kind of clothes you wear. Who knows? The decorations that we have. These things give off an unmistakable witness. A bad witness. Not a good witness. And that this text infers that wealth isn't of itself a bad witness, bad witness. And also there the word for hoarding emerges from the text. That, that wealth is a form of it. 
you got a you're bitten by a venom that is coursing through your veins in a bad way, causing you to want to gather treasury in the world and and think about it and hoard it up so that it's there for you to look at. And it can be strange things can become fetishes that we hoard uh, in the form of wealth. And it may not be money. It may not even make any sense. You know, a lot of people live their whole life collecting things. And in the end of their life, when their life draws to an end, they have piles and piles of different kinds of treasure. A pile of treasure here, a pile of treasure there. As a Methodist preacher, I visited a woman one time whose name was, was, was Bear. Her last name was Bear. And she, in response to that, collected teddy bears. And her house was a menagerie of teddy bears. She had to take them out of the chair for me to be able to sit down. She had hoarded teddy bears all over the house. Now, I began to question to myself what really was behind this old lady's hoarding of these bears. They gave her comfort. It was her treasure. It was something she could look at and see it grow. I never understood that. But when my first wife died years ago, I began to hoard TV dinner plates. <laughs> you ever heard of something that's crazy? These plastic plates that you put uh, lean cuisine in. I ate so many of those things because my cook was gone, my wife was gone. I ate so many of those things that I piled them up. One on top of another. You know what I did? I unplugged the refrigerator and made it into a bookcase. That's God's truth. I was done. I was just a done deal. Well, it wasn't long I met my second wife. She took one look at me and then hoard it in there and she threw it all to the dump. And that's what it ought to have been in the dump. But I had some fantasy use of the plastic plates. I was going to use them for pallets to paint with. I had all sorts of things, but it didn't matter. I just want to see how many I could stack up. In. <laughs> That's a form of wealth. That's a form of hoarding that comes from the venom coursing through your veins of that witness that's bad. That's a bad witness. See, well, Jesus takes away all that. Jesus is interested in that. Interesting in what you do. And it comes through this word strongly. In the fourth verse, he lays it on the line about the cries of field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. Don't jump over that too quick because that infers something that we in this country are familiar with. Uh, we know how to make money. And we know how to make it on the backs of the poor. We're good at that. We've done that. We have a, a history of slave labor farming. We call them plantations. But nothing but a slave labor camp. The money that they, that they made made them wealthy. People in the deep south, some of the most rich people on earth. When we tried to put together a country, they were the most cantankerous of all. 
because from South Carolina and different places, the delegates were just as rich as they could possibly be. I made some of the New Englanders uh, just, just as jealous as, as could be too. But somehow, half of this nation was built and paid for on the backs of slave labor. So we, we, we know something about that. They knew something about that. The Romans did that. They, and they worked in fields and grew wheat, and they didn't pay them nothing but hardly to keep them alive. That one big slave is slaves of all. And so this was what was named in James as something that produces wealth. And that's where the wealth came from. So you got to be conscious of your, if you have employees, that you raise them up, that you lift them up, that you see that they're cared for and well taken care of because this text won't let you escape that way by skating away on the fact that you're just a wealthy person. It's not your fault. You're just wealthy. Well, somebody's labor has given you that, that ability. Now, I don't want to say too much about the, more about the words in there, but I do want to, uh, take off here with a few observations on that, on, on riches and what, what they can do. Our nation went through a depression in the 1930s and, uh, stock market fell down in the late 20s and then all of a sudden we were in, as a nation, we were in big, big trouble. It wasn't just here. It was all over the world. Uh, every country had felt the impact of the what's been called the Great Depression. Theodore Roosevelt and his government was elected to the task of trying to fix it. And they looked everywhere. They were trying to, they tried to do, think of things to do. They made labor, uh, put people to work. With the CCC camps, they call Civilian Conservation Corps. A lot of people can look at their ancestors and know that that was helpful to them. We built uh, parks and highways and things, and that was helpful. But but uh, he he also suddenly discovered over a fact that all the wealth in the country was in the hands of very few people. That it, it was discovered that most of them, not more than thirty or so. Had all the money in the country. The rest of us didn't, didn't, just didn't have enough. We didn't have anything in saving. Now whose fault is that? I don't know. But that's how the truth was. It shook out to be that way. In the movie Wall Street, Gordon Gecko, the, uh, Michael Douglas, slicked back Wall Street investment banker. You know what he said in, in one scene, he's lecturing a room full of greedy people, and he says to them, greed is good, unquote. <laughs> greed is good. That's just a, a motion picture. But at the same time, this is what wealth will do to you. Extreme wealth will make you feel as if being greedy is a good thing. And then it becomes a trap. We can get in that greed trap. It's a bear trap that slams shut on you. It's called materialism. You remember Madonna? 
singing, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a material girl. You know that? Well, see, it's too, it's tough to be a material. <laughs> you don't want to be a material girl or boy you want. You want to sense that material things are transient and they're simply things of this world. You, you can't take any of them with you when you die. They're, they're all just here. Just, just here. Now, why is James on a rant like this? Why do you think it is? Well, let me give you a shot, take a shot at it here a minute. First of all, I don't think that James is preaching at somebody. I don't think he does. If you look at it carefully, he doesn't name anybody. He don't really get right down on nobody's place of business or anything like that. He just sort of floats in this atmosphere of this rant. And, 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 and why is that? Well, I think he's not preaching at anybody in particular. I think he's preaching for somebody in particular. I think he's preaching for a community that we don't know and we haven't seen, but we can give some inferences about it. And one of them is that it's a lot of them. That's one. Two, they're poor as church mice. They're poor. Because he's like a coach standing on the sidelines saying, hit him again, hit him again, hit him again. Throw that Hail Mary pass and you'll win. He's only, see, he's, he's, he's rich people in the, they're the same ones that take you to court, take you to court. Where's that all coming from? What, what, what does he mean by that? He means that they are people that are picked on, pushed around, shoved around. So when they come together for a word from God, this preacher is hammering home the fact that they're okay because they're in the hands of God. It's, it's, that being poor is not necessarily a bad thing. Like, kind of like Gordon and Gecko in the verse. Poverty is a good thing. <laughs> okay. And now, uh, there's no theological cocooning going on. Like sometimes Paul couches things in theological cocoons, but not here. This is all flat out, right up to date, right up to where they are, right up to where that group is standing in the world right then. Not for us 2,000 years later, not for somebody in the past, but right there where they are right in that world where are we in our world see becomes relevant we can think about that a little bit without without seizing up that we both got too political we can we can actually think about globalization a little bit and what it means to us what does it mean to be a nation on this earth that welcomes people to it what does it mean about immigration and the way we think about it? Now, I'm not pushing either one side or the other. I'm just saying that as we lift up poor people, we don't have to look very far to find them to lift. They're everywhere. Have, some of them don't, don't speak your language and don't have our skin color. What happened to your skin color? All, all the world is here. All the world is here. When the American Revolution took place, you don't want to forget that, and I often do, that it was a revolution of rich people. 
poor people didn't. They, they didn't want to fight England all that much. They really didn't. But George Washington did because he owed them a lot of money. So did Thomas Jefferson. So did many of the founders, James Mason. Just name them off. They're all gentry. Many of them up here from Virginia gentry, rich people. Just rich people. And they decided that they wanted to be free. And we began putting our delegates together. And when we did, most of them were rich people. Some of them richer than others. Some of them from up in Massachusetts were kind of poor, but they, they, they weren't poor. Here we are looking at a nation founded by wealthy people. And those wealthy people put together the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, all that stuff, is so that we can lift up poor people, lift up poor people. And then when we put the nation together, we put the nation together, and, 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 and we're still working on improving it, making it better, make it work better, so that we can be a place that welcomes people, particularly poor people. Jesus said one time, you can't serve God and mammon. Mammon is a, a kind of a god of wealth. You can't serve both of them, just one of them, and that's God. But prosperity versus poverty. You find it all through the Bible. You find it all through the history of our nation. We've had rich people in, in the, as founders, but the war took us everything we could. We had to borrow money. We borrowed money from the Dutch people in order to 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 try to be strong and to defeat the British. And we did. We were. And they paid for it on their backs. The same thing with the Jews. Philadelphia. George Washington was up against it. Asked a friend who was a Jew for money. They paid up some. And we managed to get, get on to Trenton. Well, John Wesley at this time was in England. He was saying we were making a big mistake. John Wesley said, uh, my goodness, you're going to be a people without a king. Who wants to be a people without a king? Well, well, John Wesley had written a sermon, very popular number, sermon number 50, The Use of Money. You ought to read that sometime. You want an interesting sermon on, on that subject. He said, earn all you can, point number one. Point number two, save all you can. Point number three, give all you can. What a sermon. What a way to do economics. Well, earn everything you can, as hard as you can. Give all you can. Give it away. Give, 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 give. And save all you can. Save it. Save it. When that poor man died, he had had a few, few pennies in his pockets. He'd managed, managed to give away more money than you can imagine. I talked to an Englishman one time, and the first thing out of his mouth was, Oh, John Wesley? Well, he was a wealthy man, wasn't he? And I said, Well, I didn't know. What do you mean wealthy? He said, Oh, my goodness. He earned gobs of cash, but he didn't keep it. He gave it all away. Well, there you have a, a, a source of that. This has been a... a, a this this community has classical roots in the Greek 
ideas of wealth. It had a Hebrew root, which is also not negative on wealth. And it had this new Christian poverty approach. The great, great speaker for that has always been St. Francis. St. Francis was a man who uh, gave up all his material worth in Italy. And his father disinherited him. He took off all his wealthy, rich clothes and went naked in the streets of Assisi. St. Francis of Assisi took his naked self to the bishop and asked the bishop what to do. A crowd had gathered this naked man at the feet of the bishop. The bishop took off his cloak, took off his robe, and covered Francis up and turned him loose. And he began the great order of which is, which, whose rule was complete poverty. And we learned how to be Christians again from a time of wealth in the church. We remembered that we don't, we not only don't need money, we ought not to have it in the first place. Strong words. I mean, that's what James is, is, uh, seemingly holding forth here. That a way to God is poverty. Well, I don't know if you feel that way or not. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that we are exposed to the different ways of looking at this subject. Uh, if you wanted to learn more about that, uh, I would suggest that you go to Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia in your computer and put in there Christian views on poverty and wealth. They will contrast those for you. And you can think about it down through the ages to now. If you are interested in that Wesley sermon on the use of money, you'll also find that that's located on the computer for you. You can pull it up and you will see those three points that I made. Earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. If that struck you, if that struck your interest, and you may or may have may or may not have jotted it down. If you want uh, information on uh, uh, some different perspectives on the American Revolution, uh, there's a book out now, uh, a very thick book, uh, by a man named Fletcher, and it is entitled African Founders. It is a, a discussion of how our country was founded by white folk, Black folk, all of them together, uh, hooked together, and even in bonds of slavery, there were, in fact, African founders, and they are named and described and studied, and it's, it gives us an opportunity to look at what what we built together in spite of ourselves. That's that's what's significant about it is, even though we were we were not up to speed morally in many many ways, at the same time, we managed together to hammer out something good for the world that the world had never seen before and may never see again. May never see again. I used the Living Bible this morning, which is uh, uh, this one. I'll try to let you see what it looks like. The Living Bible is an old paraphrase, but it, um, for a text like this, it's, 
it's really quite good to get you thinking about it. And uh, there you have it, those those, uh, struggles between poverty and riches are going to go on in your life and in your heart. And you'll have to think through this thing and uh, decide where you come down. And then listen for the Lord and what the Lord might tell you. Because the Lord is interested in you and me. And not just what we think about theology, but what we do after we've heard it. Maybe there's some changes that you might consider. Check around and see if you're hoarding anything. Are you putting away TV dinner trays? <laughs> I hope not. But give it some give it some thought. I want you to know that I care for you. I want you to know that this ministry cares for you. That we love you. And we're committed to bringing you just as sound gospel as we possibly can. Given the constraints of time and consideration. I wish you well. And I'm going to have a prayer with you and we're going to go. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the ministry of the word. Thank you for letting us look at the word. Your wonderful servant, James. Thank you for the words that he wrote to us that we've studied and learned about. We thank you, Jesus, for the thoughts that we have occurred, have occurred to us. Having heard and listened to the word. So keep be with us today, Jesus. Where we are weak, make us strong. Where we are puzzled, give us clarity. Where we are sick, make us whole. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Till next time, everybody. God bless you today. Bye-bye. You are Eu quero ser um testemunho, remove o 